Well, it is a new year, and that means it's a time of transition. That's what we do during uh, our New Year celebrations. We often think back to the last year, maybe lessons learned, maybe regrets. And we look forward, at least as Americans, I think we normally look forward with hope uh, to our new year. And certainly as Christians, we have every reason to be looking forward with, with hope. But it's a time of transition. It's a time to resolve to make sure that Christ is really our focus as Christians. But it's a time to transition from the old to the new. And, and so this text I've been actually looking forward to that uh, my brother Ken just read. And Ken, I, I got the same Bible you do. Um, had to upgrade mine to larger font this new year. Um, my older one was kind of starting to fall apart a little bit. Some of y'all noticed that. Some of you made comments that the front cover really didn't look very seemly. I had it covered in duct tape, and that was kind of peeling off. So but I had to get something that was a little bigger print um, as, as part of the, you know, the aging process goes. Um, so new year, new Bible. And uh, I got the same one Ken did, Ken does, so his recommendation. He pulled his out at an elder retreat and asked me if I could read it. So thank you, brother. But I've been looking forward to this text and, and actually kind of did a little planning such that we would land here on New Year's Day because I see this text really fitting our theme for the new year, which we'll get to at the end of the message. But it's a transitional text. It's really kind of the, the hinge pin of the book of Hebrews. So it's, it's sharing with us how all the previous stuff, the, the last nine and a half chapters in this letter should now change our lives. So this is really the the so what text. And of course we've seen plenty of application in the, the first two-thirds of the of this letter to the Hebrews, but it's been very theological. And now it becomes more practical. And so um, next next week will be a, a warning as we finish out Hebrews chapter 10. I encourage you to to read it through. It's actually got some pretty strong words. Um, and then the following week, we're going to get into Hebrews chapter 11, which is the famous kind of hall of faith text, and we're going to slow down. We're going to take probably about two months to work our way through Hebrews chapter 11. So I'm looking forward to that as we look at many of these heroes and heroines even of faith from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. We'll take our time and look back at their stories and seek to learn from them and apply them to our lives today. Um, so that's coming. But right now, we, we get to think about what does it mean now to have a gospel focus. And, and so the background, which is going to be the part one, if, if you're just joining us inside your bulletin, you will see a listening guide that will kind of help you work your way through the sermon and hopefully give you something to remember it with that can help you. Um, so the first part of the message here is going to be the background. Um, and, and, and in these first three verses here, we see kind of a kind of a, a restating or a looking back to the foundation for the so what here. So look at verse 19 with me, if you will. We see two things that we're to take confidence in. And the first is access, access to our God. So verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So, how is it that we actually do that? How do we enter the throne room of heaven today? Well, it's through prayer. Well, how do we do that confidently? I mean, why should we think that 
the God of the universe who has got a lot of things going on. Think about that. He has a lot going on. That we, things that we can't even imagine. There's a lot going on out there. Why should he stop and listen to us and to our prayer? How can we have confidence in that? And, and think about this. A second question I have is if, if God is omnipotent, that's a big word that means all power, right? He holds all the power. And he is holy, meaning he is perfect and can't stand wickedness. All right? I know my heart to some degree. Not as well as he does, but I know my heart to some degree. Do I really want his attention? Or is it safer to fly under the radar? So how can we approach God confidently, being assured that he's going to even listen? And do we even want to? Or is it better to kind of be the gray man in the room with God, knowing that he knows everything, sees everything, has all power, and cannot tolerate wickedness? How can we do that confidently? Well, it tells us, and it reviews. That's what we've been studying these last months. We can do it confidently because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And through the curtain, that is through his flesh, it says here in our text. Look at or think about Matthew 27, which tells us, do we have these verses up here, brothers? Yeah, we do. Okay, sweet. Matthew 27, verse 50 through 51. This is the end of Jesus on the cross, right? Um, The very last thing that happened. He cries out with a loud voice. So we know from another text that he cried out, it is finished. He had had paid the price with his blood that that a holy God demanded. And he declared that the price of sin was paid. And he yielded up his spirit and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. In other words, God tore the veil that had separated his presence from his people in the old covenant. And the earth, and, and to make a statement, the, the earth shook and rocks even were split when God did that. So, so Jesus' body was torn on the cross to give us access to God. And the curtain was torn immediately after he cried out, it is finished, and yielded up his spirit as a sign from God that we now have access to him, to his throne. So now we can walk, in, in the words of one writer, confidently through the torn curtain of Christ into the presence of the Father. Now notice here, um, looking back here at verse 20. That mystery man here calls this gospel a new and living way. So this this gospel, this good news was new news at this time in history for these folks. So is this message that you have access to God? You, You have the ability to have a relationship with God and even a future with God in heaven, which is good news. I mean, that is great news, okay? Is that still fresh in your life? Or is it old hat? Is it old news to you? 
You know, new things become old. So what if this year, and I don't think this is going to happen. In fact, I I, I will even say I don't believe this is going to happen. But let's just imagine that this year, in 2022, we discovered without a doubt that aliens were real. That would be new news. Okay? I mean, I, I promise you that every headline on earth will be talking about it. But let's just say we had proof, not just speculation, that aliens were real. And your mind might be going to all kinds of movie threads right now in your mind, right? But let's just say that we knew that. That would be new news. We would be talking about it and thinking about it. And at some, at some level, our lives would change accordingly. But you know what? That would eventually become old news. Believe it or not, as crazy as that sounds, eventually that would become old hat too. And, and, and you know, y- y- we would adjust and it wouldn't be shocking anymore or something that you think about first thing in the morning. It would become old news. But, but some things should never become old hat to us. Maybe you've seen the movie, and I'm not going to recommend it because it's incredibly violent. But maybe you have seen Saving Private Ryan. Okay? Uh, very realistic war film. And so you've heard me already make the big disclaimer Pastor Troy did not recommend kids that you go see Saving Private Ryan. I actually don't recommend that. Um, unless you have a good conversation with your parents and they deem that you're of age. Uh, in fact, it's, that movie caused some trauma for some, when it first came out because there were still a number of survivors from World War II and it was so realistic, the opening scene, the, the invasion of Normandy. So realistic that it brought back a lot of really hard memories for people. But it also demonstrated the reality of combat, what war was really like at that time. In the, ba- in the basic story of Saving Private Ryan, the very beginning of the movie, we, we see a, an aged Private Ryan remembering the sacrifices of others. And, and the, the movie closes at the, with the same scene. He's in a, he's in a, in a sacred uh, graveyard looking out at the tomb of, of particularly one man, a man named Captain John Miller, who had made a sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, and his last words to Private Ryan had been, earn this. In other words, earn this with your life. And now as an old man, he asks his wife if he's been a good man. You see, that was something that was great. It was a, a sacrifice that people had made multiple men had made for his freedom, for the freedom of his family, and the generations that would come beyond, including our generations. He had made that, and and that news never became old to him. You see, he thought about that throughout his life, the sacrifices. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this morning, this, this new year, endeavor to make sure that Jesus' sacrifice never becomes old news to you. Because just because you've heard something a hundred times, or a thousand times even, and have known it for a long time does not mean it has to become old news. If it's something that truly changes your life. So Jesus' sacrifice should never grow to become old news to us. It should always be that that new and, and living way. And so we have confidence 
because of his sacrifice, in our access to God, but also we have confidence in our advocate in heaven. Verse 21 says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. You see, Jesus is not only our savior and our hero who gave his life to save ours 2,000 years ago. He right now is also our priest right now in, in present time. Now, Mystery Man calls him a great priest, and we've seen this over and over in the last few chapters, and it's easy for us, I think, in, in our modern context to hear the word priest and to hear about Jesus, our great high priest, and for us just to shrug. Because, you know, the, the priesthood is, is kind of a foreign concept to us in our culture. We don't really get the relevance of a priest. So maybe you need to think of a different word. When you hear the word priest, think advocate. Somebody who has your back. Now that's a great thing. Somebody that you can trust who will always have your back. Have you ever had a friend like that? Somebody that you could really trust. You could share anything with and you could know that maybe she was out there and, and maybe people were gossiping about you and she had your back. She would always stand up for you. That's a great thing. That's a gift. That's something we treasure. That's something we, we cherish. An advocate. And what we see here is that we have a great advocate. And all Christians do. Everybody who belongs to the house of God, the family of God, has an advocate in present tense right now in heaven who has our back. Before God the Father. So what does he actually do for us? Well, he, he prays for us. We've already looked at all this, but it's good to be reminded. And he, not only does he like, pray to God the Father for us in our needs, he also cleans up our prayers. That's pretty crazy, because I'll be honest with you, I, I'm a weak prayer. I get distracted in the middle of some of my prayers because I forget who I'm talking to. I mean, if I remembered who I was talking to, there's no way I would get distracted by the dog or by, you know, a, a carnal thought or a, you know, a, a, a sale that just got, you know, a notification on my phone or something like that, right, uh, to go buy something. The, 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 the far infinitely lesser things that we get distracted by. If I could remember, I was talking to God, but even when I do and I, am I weak, my, my prayers come out milk toast. Jesus Christ actually cleans them up to the Father for us. He's our advocate. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So that means Jesus actually has purpose in interceding for us right now. That's what he's doing right now. He's not just sitting back. He's actively interceding for us right now. One pastor put it this way, that his continual priestly prayer for us is the medium for our survival. We're, de we're dependent not only on his work 2,000 years ago, we're dependent on his work right now for us. And, and you know what he's doing as he has our back? Whenever we do things that would condemn us before a holy God, okay, and an omnipotent God, He's reminding the Father that we have His righteousness. 
that, that, that he paid that price for that. I died for that, he is telling the father. And, and he was reminding the father, who knows it, but, but is, is delighted to be reminded that we are dressed in his righteousness. He's reminding God the father of the truth of 2 Corinthians 5.21. That says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We don't earn it. It's given. It's what theologians call alien righteousness. When we talk about something cool that's alien, it is righteousness alien to us from Christ. Jesus' righteousness given to us as a gift because of his death on the cross. In other words, when he died on the cross and said it is finished, if you're trusting in him alone, right, depending on his death for you, God took all your sin, all of it, past, present, future, and he put it on Christ. His wrath was poured out on that. And he takes Christ's perfect righteousness, the only perfect man, the hero, and he gives it to you as a gift. And so that's what God sees. And that's why we have access. That's why God delights in us. That's why Romans 8, 31 through 34 is true. That says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And so we have confidence, brothers and sisters, if, if we're in Jesus, we've got confidence in our access to God's throne, and we have confidence that we have an advocate who has our back. So let's move into the, the meat of this text, right, which I'm calling the challenge, verse 22 through 25. And as I, as I read these verses, as we kind of walk through these verses, notice here that we have three encouragements that are prefaced by two words, let us. And I love that. What that means is, let us, we're in this together, right? Mystery man recognizes that he's got some room to grow, as I do. So this is you, and this is your pastors together. Let us, number one, draw near to God. Let us draw near to God, verse 22, with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now there's nothing more important in your life than your relationship with God. Our, our church's vision statement is here at the very front of your bulletin. And it says, we exist to know him and to make him known. That's why we're here. And so the first point of that is we're here to know God. That's why he put us here on the planet, to have a relationship with him. And our relationship with God as fallen sinners who are separate, have been separated from God because of our sin... It starts with faith. It starts at the moment of first faith in Jesus Christ. Paul told the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And he, and he wrote to the Romans in chapter 10 verse 9, 
If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That means you will be forgiven. You will be adopted into God's family. He'll give you new life in your heart. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. He's going to give you new life in your heart that that has a bent towards God. You're still going to sin. You're still going to have that old flesh, right? But you're deepest inclination is going to be towards God. And that's, that, that's why if you're a real believer, you're going to repent daily and keep looking to Him. So our relationship with God starts with true faith and it continues every day with sincere faith. Now notice here that he says, let us draw near with a true heart. Pastor Kent Hughes writes, the heart represents the whole inner life. There must be inner sincerity from one's whole being. One must be true, completely genuine, wholehearted. So let's draw near to God with a true heart. Now here's the thing, here's the problem. We are not naturally wholehearted or true-hearted. But the good news is that when God saves us, He gives us a new heart. And so that's what this this phrase here, hearts, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience is referring to here. It's referring to God's working of our hearts when he saves us. We call this regeneration, the idea of breathing new life into us. You know, think about a dead person, somebody who's freshly dead, okay, really freshly dead, Somebody gives them CPR and it bring, breathes new life into them. All right? Now, we may, not, we may not be freshly dead in our sins, but the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to come in and to give us new life. And that's the idea here. You know, in the Old Covenant, there were all these ceremonial cleansings where they would sprinkle water from a hyssop branch. They would even sprinkle blood on things to, to, to purify them, to cleanse them. Right? And throughout Hebrews, we've been seeing that, hey, you know what? That was all great. Uh, it really was. It was symbolic of stuff. But you know what? It didn't really cleanse the conscience. And here he says, having your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. This is something that only God can do. And he does it through the cross. And this is what we mean when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay? We see all these precursors to baptism in the Old Testament, here we have this idea of the Holy Spirit regenerating, giving new life, baptizing, putting you in Christ, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And and that should be followed by the Christian with something that we call water baptism. Now, water baptism doesn't save, but what it does is it, it, it is a public testimony of what God's Spirit has done for you on the inside. So when the Bible says there's one faith, one baptism, it's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, your salvation, your regeneration. And we, water baptism is a beautiful picture of that, of, of dying to self and being raised to walk in newness of life. And so that's what I believe we have here as a reference for having our bodies washed with pure water after our hearts were sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. So let us draw near to God. Maybe, you've, maybe all that is back in your past, in your, in your history, but you need to draw near to God today. Well, how do you do that? Well, that's through prayer. 
It's reading his word. It's confession of sin. And it's like enduring in faith, looking to him, um, maintaining, developing, building your relationship with, with God through spiritual discipline. So let's draw near to God. Number two, let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now holding fast is a word picture of endurance. Imagine yourself in a situation where you're holding onto a rope, maybe off of a cliff or off of a bridge, right? And, and that rope is your literal lifeline, all right? Well, what do you do? Well, you keep holding fast until there's not a need to hold fast anymore, right? Until, you're, until somebody pulls you up. You keep holding fast. It's a word picture to endure. Well, what is the confession of our hope here? Because we're supposed to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Well, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is the gospel? You know, we use the word gospel a lot here. Do, do we know what that means? Do you know what that means? If, if you had 30 seconds to explain the gospel to somebody, you know, you're both about to die. I can, I can imagine a number of scenarios. You're on an airplane and you're heading to the sea, right? Straight down and you can talk, all right? You can talk. And someone looks at you and says, what must I do to be saved? What do you say? You got 30 seconds. What would you say? Go. Turn to your neighbor. What would you say? You got 30 seconds. Ken, you managed to do that in 10 seconds. What did you just say? I'm putting you on the spot. That's really bad news. All right, Bart, what did you say to your wife? Through Christ we must be saved. That's right. I tell you what, there's, there's a lot of different scriptures you could use. You know, John 3, 16 might come to mind, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I don't know how long that was, 15 seconds maybe, okay? Uh, they might say, well, what does it mean to believe? And, and maybe you got five seconds to, to say that. I love Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Trust in that. Now, Kean's right. You could... We could write books expounding on the gospel, but we should know the gospel well. We should know it really, really well. We should breathe it, okay? God is holy and righteous, and he made you. That's number one in my mind, right? He's got ownership rights. Number two, you, me, we sinned against God and have incurred his wrath. Number three, the good news is that God didn't just leave us alone, spinning on a planet, messing it up, heading to eternity without him, but he loved us enough to send his son, the God-man, a savior to die for us, and he rose from the dead. That's number three. Number four is the, the heart of it, the good news for you, you can be saved by repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus. And the fifth point that I think of is, hey, listen, that means you, he's your Lord, he's your savior, he's your hero, you're living for him now if it's faith, if it's genuine. Right? And we can talk about that. That took me more than 30 seconds. But those are kind of the five pegs I have. 
And I could go into any of those at depth, but you, sh- you need to know this and breathe it and, and be ready to share it and, and to be reminded of it, of, of the gospel. Well, we need to endure in faith. And, and that's, that's this idea of holding fast, this word picture of endurance. And, you know, that was our, our theme for 2021, right? Endurance right? Endurance. We knew it was going to be a hard year, and it was. We need to endure in faith. And we can do this because he who promised is faithful. You know, he didn't just give us some information. He actually modeled it. That's why I call Jesus the hero. Uh, Our brother Bill mentioned that last week. By the way, Bill, if you're watching, um, I have to correct a misquote. He misquoted me at the very beginning of the sermon. He said that I said, that you should never turn down an adventure. That's not true, because actually some adventures are just knuckleheaded propositions that you shouldn't do. What I actually said was that you should always hesitate before you turn down an adventure. And I believe that, right? We're supposed to live lives of courage, and therefore we need to train ourselves towards that. And as such, you should always hesitate before you turn down the hard road. Usually the best road is the hard road. Not always, but often, right? So, Bill, I had to correct you there uh, for misquoting me. Um, Always hesitate before you turn down an adventure, right? But Bill also talked about being a, 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 uh, the idea of Jesus as hero. And I often think that way, and it is true. Heroes do things that are hard to do, but you know what? Heroes are to be emulated and followed after. And that's what Jesus did. He did it as a man. He didn't just come down and, and you know, keep hitting that divine turbo boost button he had under his tunic or whatever. He, he did it as a man, a real man, and he did his miracles by depending on the Holy Spirit just like we can. And he suffered no less than you or I would suffer if they nailed us to a cross right now. In fact, he suffered more because he bore the weight of our sin. That's something we couldn't do. But we're supposed to follow him. So he's already run the race. And he's shown us how to do it. I mean, he did it right. And and so we're to keep looking to him as we endure in faith. And and I kind of wish we could have uh, hit turbo boost going through Hebrews. It would have been cool to end of the year with Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. But we're not there yet. And we're going to, I don't want to, didn't want to cheat you out on all the cool stuff still in, in chapter 10 and chapter 11. But Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author or the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he's modeled it for us, and so we're to hold fast. We're to endure the race of faith because he who promised is faithful. Well, what has he promised us, actually? That it would be an easy race? No. That there will be no obstacles? Nothing trying to tempt us off the course? No. That we'll never get tired and exhausted? No, he didn't promise that. Right? That we won't even get hurt. He did not promise that either. But he's promised us that when we cross the finish line, glory awaits. 
And he's promised us that as we run, he is with us. And he'll give us the strength to carry on with each step. He'll give us the strength to hang on to that rope until we are saved. I love the New King James Version of John 14, 1 through 3, where Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. And there's plenty to trouble us in our races right now, in, in our lives. If you're looking forward into 2022, there's probably plenty of things that you could think about that could trouble you. But Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I also will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So what he's saying is, hey, let's, as we're running this race, let's keep our eyes on that finish line. Let's keep our eyes on that finish line because glory awaits. So let's draw near because we have this awesome access, right, and this awesome advocate. Let's draw near, let's hold fast, and... Number three, let's stir each other up to love and good works, right? Not let's stir each other up to get mad at the government, right? Or mad at the liberals. Plenty that we could do. We could certainly do that. Let's stir each other up to love and good works. Verse 24 says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now as we think about this, this third let us, I, I see actually three things. First, let's think about it. Let's be intentional. Let's consider how we should stir each other up. In other words, before you're in the conversation, Let's think and pray about how we might stir each other up to grow in faith. Let's give it some intentional thought, right? Let's be proactive, not just reactive in stirring each other up or encouraging each other. Secondly, let's meet together, right? That's what it says. It says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So the idea here is the importance of proximity, of, of being involved in each other's lives. Now, one, one thing that I think all of us have learned through the COVID pandemic is that we really have a need for fellowship. We really need to be with one another. And I just want to stop and, and encourage you as a church here on this note, Okay. Um, th this pandemic has been very difficult for churches across the country and, frankly, across the world. Uh, a, a lot of churches are majorly down in attendance. I, I was talking just last week with a pastor whose church is less than half of what it was before the pandemic. And this is, a, this is throughout the country, all right? Um, many churches are really struggling financially right now. And I just want to say that I really am proud of the way that um, so many of you have been eager to not forsake the assembly, to, to come together. That being said, I know that I'm spoke, speaking to people at home. And, and there are some of you 
who need to guard your health and the health or the health of others in your immediate family. And we understand that. That's why we do live stream. But I just want to I want to say thank you, church, for being eager to be together, making it a priority. And I also want to say that that you know, for those that you may, you maybe you haven't seen for a while, they may have a good reason, and some I can tell you do have a good reason to be cautious. We need to be sure that we're reaching out to them and not just say, well, I haven't seen them for a couple months. Give them a call. You know, maybe you could swing by and sit outside together and, and have some fellowship. Um, te- use technology. Uh, we need to encourage each other. We need to meet together. The best is physical, but we have all kinds of tools to do it virtually as well. We need to meet together. You know, that's part of our member covenant as well. That, that when, when new members join our church, and when you joined our church, you signed a yellow card. You said, I'm going to make it a priority to be there. And there may be times, illness, uh, travel. But I'm not going to just kind of, you know, well, I prefer church in my pajamas uh, online and, and, you know, with my coffee. Uh, it's just as great on my, on my couch without a good reason because you know what? It's not just about you. It's about us. And we need you. We need your encouragement. And that, that leads us to the third thing I see here. And that is encouragement. The, the word encourage means actually to give courage to one another. Encourage is to give courage. The word courage comes from the French word cour, which actually means heart. So having courage means so having courage means having a heart for something. So when you encourage somebody, you're, you're giving them the heart for something. Maybe to face a difficult task. Now encouragement is powerful. It inspires people, but it takes intentionality. There is power and beauty in a word fitly spoken, but it takes some discernment. So that means being in relationship with somebody. Not cheap encouragement, but but genuine encouragement. It means sensing or discerning what's going on in the heart behind what they're saying. Maybe someone is really discouraged by their sin, and they just can't get past that feeling of being unclean. And so you can encourage them with the gospel by, by reminding them of the cross and once for all and forgiven. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins, right? To forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You may give courage to their heart by discerning what's really going on and giving them that reminder. Or maybe someone's afraid of failure. Reminding them that they can indeed overcome through Christ. You can do it through Christ. It's powerful. Maybe someone's struggling with pain. Reminding them of the gospel truth that it will get better. We see here the words, as you see the day drawing near. The idea here is looking forward to the end. Looking forward to that finish line of our race or maybe even our collective race. Jesus is coming back. And you know what, brothers and sisters? I believe it could be 2022. I can't say it will be. I can't say it won't be another 500 years. What I can say Jesus, is that Jesus said only the Father knows the time. But he said it will happen when the gospel goes out to every nation, to every people group. And let me tell you, there's been an enormous amount of progress 
an enormous amount of progress, and I believe the task could be done in 2022. Jesus may come back this year. So are we ready? Are we running that race of faith? Are we holding fast? Are we living every day near to God? Are we living by encouraging one another, being involved in each other's lives? Jesus could be coming back, could be coming back this year. Or this year could be your time to go and meet him. As I look out at you, I know that most likely one of you or more are going to go meet him this year. Statistically, we lost a number of people last year in 2021. Most likely one of you right now who's listening to my voice that I have the privilege of talking to is going to die this year. And none of us knows where the finish line of our race might be. And it doesn't only, it's not only for older people, young people. We don't know when our last day might be. It could be you. So none of us can afford to take a day that God gives us in 2022 for granted. The day's drawing near. The day's drawing near. So let us consider how to stir each other up to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. You know, a Lone Ranger Christian is a dead ranger. I've said that before and I'll probably say it again if the Lord keeps giving me opportunity, okay? You need other Christians in your life. If you try to do it on your own, you are going to fail. You need fellowship, you need encouragement, you need to be making disciples and you need other people to be helping make you a better disciple of Jesus Christ. All right, so don't do it alone. Open your heart up. Share. Encourage with one another. Don't do it alone as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All this leads us to our conclusion in our notes. I'm calling it part, th- part three, and that is our theme for the year. Every, every year, um, as the year is drawing to a close, we elders pray together, talk about what should our theme be? For the following year. And this is what it is. Knowing him and making him known. Which is our vision. Through gospel focus. We want to keep our focus. On the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all three encouragements. In our text this morning. I think relate. To this theme. The first one. We can confidently draw near to God. Only because of the gospel. Jesus died on the cross in our place, and he's the one who makes us righteous. Number two, we must hold fast the confession of our hope. What what is that? It's the truth of the gospel that we've got to hold fast to. That means that our future is bright. Heaven is ahead. And number three, we should encourage one another to focus our thoughts and conversations on the truth of the gospel. And that's something that, as I mentioned earlier, is going to take some intentionality. How do you get from casual conversation about the week or the sports team or or homeschooling? How do you get from that to reminding each other of gospel truths? We need to be intentional, meaning plan for it. Get to be good at that. We need to be telling our neighbors who don't know Christ and our friends, we need to be talking about the gospel with them, but we need to be encouraging each other as well with gospel focus, gospel truth. And what that means is not, you can do it. Believe in yourself. That's not a gospel message. 
It's not the gospel of self-help. What, it's, it, it, what it is is you can do all things through Jesus who gives you strength. So rely on him for strength. You know, right now, brothers and sisters, there is plenty to distract us from a gospel focus. There's a lot of things out there. Things where we're mad, things where we're concerned, issues that are, are, are dividing people. There's a lot that we could talk about, and some of those could be fruitful conversations. Some of those could be important conversations. But let's endeavor this new year to keep Christ and his gospel as our focus. We, we live in a divided world. We live in a divided country. We live in a divided society, and there's only one thing that can unify, and we have it. So let's focus our hearts, our, our minds, and our, our words, not on proving that we're right about vaccines or whatever, politics, but about the gospel of Jesus Christ this year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the good news. We pray that you would forgive us who know you in this room, who may have allowed that good news to become old hat in our hearts. I pray that you would renew and refresh our minds uh, this morning, today, this new year, of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you do indeed love us so much that you sent your son Jesus Christ to bear the weight of our sin on the cross, to give us renewal, to give us salvation and forgiveness and a walk with you and to give us eternal life. Help us to keep that in focus and help us to apply that to all aspects of our lives. Lord, help us to be people who think about and talk about your gospel often and, and more than we have before in this new year. I pray this in uh, the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus.